Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Let's go. Focus on Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to your weekly dose of Focus on Metal. So what we have in store for you this week and also next week is a doubleheader throwback set of episodes based upon Brittany Fox's third studio release, Bite Down Hard. So for some reason, Richie decided to uh, settle on wanting to do this one, and that's uh, you know fine with me. I'll go with it. And uh, like I said, this is the third album by uh, by Britney Fox. It's also uh, notable because it's the first one to feature singer Tommy Paris, as well as uh, Dizzy Dean has exited the band at this point. So uh, Richie actually got on the phone with uh, Johnny D and had another catch up with Johnny. What's going on with him? And then dive deep into. The whole album and, uh, you know, Johnny talks about uh, Zach Wilde coming in. In case you don't know it, uh, Zach actually does a guitar solo on this one. Uh, track one, he's on uh, on Six Guns Loaded. And uh, I can't remember if he talks about it or if uh, Tommy talks about it because we'll also be talking to Tommy Paris. And uh, they also talk about Ricky Rocket coming in and uh, doing some percussion on uh, Midnight Moses, which I think is the... Uh, the cover they did on this one as well. So like I said, lots of stuff over the next two weeks, all about Britney Fox and their 1991 studio release, Bite Down Hard. Actually got released, um, would have been just a few weeks back in 1991, got released on March 27th. And uh, also, of course, at this point, you got Tommy Paris on vocals, a little doing a little rhythm guitar, the uh, always present Michael Kelly Smith, Billy Childs on bass, and our uh, main guest of these two episodes, Johnny D on the drums. So as Richie talks to uh, Johnny and Tommy about this, you know it is uh, it is interesting that this album just really didn't seem to get a uh, same amount of push as the uh, albums prior to this one. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, if, if everything they talk about is the reason, but to definitely. They, they talk about why this one uh, really didn't get it. I do remember the, the first album coming out and uh, just, you know, being like, holy crap, you know, what is this? And and at that point with the band I was in, we were playing a lot of this kind of stuff as well. And we, we played the hell out of the vinyl on this one. And the whole, you know, obviously doing this one, you couldn't really do this one as a, as a cover because neither, you know, none of us in the band were able to, uh, to do the uh, Dizzy Dean vocals on on any of the popular songs off of that first one. And if memory serves, I'm pretty sure that I actually got the vinyl for that first album like way before any of the videos actually hit heavy rotation on MTV as well. So anybody that was uh, by the condo was like, you know, what the hell is this? And then, you know, weeks later, it starts to slowly build on, on, on MTV and all of a sudden everybody was the was the fan all along. But yeah, just I just actually remembered all about that. So uh, like I said, first up is we'll be having a, a big, long talk with uh, Johnny D. And, um, you know, obviously right now, Johnny is always touring the world with Doro. In fact, you'll even find out in the interview that he's moved his ass over to Germany as well. And uh, to kind of better be able to be in position for that. And a lot of other good reasons as well. 
But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's over in Germany. But like I said, he gave Richie, as usual, a crap load of time and, and talking all about stuff. And I got to say that, you know, even hanging with Johnny personally as well, he is the real deal. Super nice guy. And uh, you would just, you know, if it wasn't for the haircut and just kind of the rock and roll attitude that he just kind of exudes, you wouldn't even know that he was uh, the killer drummer that he is. But he is, like I said, he's a super, super nice guy. Always willing to shoot the shit with you. Really down to earth. Kind of like, uh, you know, if Jeff Pilson was a drummer, it would be Johnny D. Same kind of personality. Can't say enough good stuff about the guy. And uh, then also, because Richie just has to be a completist with all these kind of throwback things. And I appreciate the shit out of that. We will, uh, in part two next week, we'll finish up with Johnny. And then we're also going to get on the line with Tommy Paris, who's going to talk about a little bit of his prior history and then coming in the band and trying to fit in and all of that stuff as well. So like I said, two solid weeks of a bite down hard. And as a bit of uh, metal trivia, the, uh, the cover model on the uh, on this one there, which is kind of supposed to be like Eve with the snake and the apple and stuff, her uh, her name is actually Brittany Powell. So uh, just kind of uh, ironic that uh, the cover model on the Brittany Fox album is also named Brittany. Not spelled the same way, but uh, yeah, there you go. A little bit of rock and roll trivia for that. I think, was it, uh, I think Classic Rock Magazine. Uh, Richie would have to remind me. I think they used to do a thing where they would talk about uh, the album and, and kind of research back who the cover model was as well. I think that was that one. But anyways... Uh, you know, again, two solid weeks of stuff, and then maybe if uh, if Richie and I get the time as well, maybe we'll throw a little bit of discussion in next week. We're just going to have to see how the scheduling goes between the two of us. But um, again, we've got a crap load of good stuff to talk about, and uh, Johnny is never, ever at a loss for words. So with that, I am going to turn it over to my buddy Richie and Johnny D. Hello. So Johnny D. Yeah, it is. Hey, Johnny, it's Richie. Um, <laughs> how come you're in Germany, Johnny? I moved here. Um, I moved here like two years ago. And uh, yeah, because I got together with my girl. And uh, yeah, and the rest is history. We got, got her pregnant and uh, yeah, decided to stay. Even though I've been coming here for so long, it was really crazy that I never actually moved here before, you know? Okay. Yeah, because... I've been playing with Doro for 20 years, or 20... Actually, it's 27 years. I forget how long it's been, because it's been so fucking long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How's your German? It must be pretty good if you've been playing with Doro for so long. It's horrible, dude. (laughs) (laughs) It's awful. I have to take an... integration course now because uh my german is is shite and uh, i never really you know you come over here as an american musician everybody wants to speak english to you so um just being the lazy bastard that i am i never really focused on doing the you know the hard work which is just like learning from the bottom up and not just a bunch of curse words or you know, I can, I can sort of deal with some social situations, but when it comes to like conversation and stuff with people, it's it's impossible. You know, so mm. kind of looking forward to getting into uh, some classes starting in March. 
and learning, you know, from the ground up because it's just there's so much, you know, the vocabulary and the and the you know everything's just really difficult for an old bastard like me, you know, to kind of <laughs> go back to that. Learning a language was never my forte to begin with, even when I had, you know, a lot more brain cells that were working. So. Yeah, I, I suppose I suppose, I suppose with Doro as well, Johnny. She did all the interviews. So if any any of the German press were in, doing interviews, they just speak to her. Like, and she she's from Germany. She's fluent. You know, you didn't really have to say anything in concert either. So you, you wasn't really the, right. the impetus wasn't really on you to learn the German language. Now it is. Yeah, it was. I mean, certainly. I mean, there's a lot of things that I, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a pattern with me. Whereas, um, you know, even with drumming, I mean, I'm pretty much self-taught, and I've always figured, you know, um, that I could get by, you know, with with what I had, and um, and never really um, improved upon certain things, you know, which is a is a blessing and a curse, you know, because I developed my own sort of style. But then again, when it comes to something like a language, you know, I, I really should have worked harder at that. But it's like if you were here for, say, a few weeks, and then you're just back, right back home in America, it's kind of like you just kind of lose focus on things like that because they're not absolutely necessary. So, like you said, yeah, it was mainly Dora doing all the all the talking anyway, but, I mean, it would have been super, um, you know, beneficial for me, especially now. I have a son, you know, I'm kind of learning with him. <laughs> yeah. Like le- learning from his ABC books and stuff, so maybe that'll help me out. But, <laughs> the funny thing is, Johnny, I bet you your son will pick the language up a lot quicker than you will. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not even really speaking. But, I mean, he's only got a few words so far, but he literally understands almost every word I say, and he understands his mom when she speaks German to him. So he's just like, he's blazing right through it all. But, uh, you know, like I said, man, when you're as old as I am and just like not really ever really had that part of my brain cooking real good, you know, it's, yeah. it's super difficult and German's not the easiest language. Like, no, definitely not. You know. Definitely not. Um, yeah. So, so John, Johnny, are you, are you I, anyway? I'm just outside of Boston. Oh, okay. Um, you moved from, from uh, the UK? Ireland, um, 10 years ago. My wife, oh, wow. is, my wife is from Massachusetts. I met her in Dublin. Oh. And, uh, oh, nice. We, and then we moved over ten years ago, and we had a we had a son in Ireland, and we had a girl in uh, over here. So the two women are American, and the two men are Irish. How about that? That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. So Good Johnny, jo- Johnny, are you still playing with Doro? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, because the la- the last time last thing I heard from you a band you were playing with a an NXS tribute band, I believe, for a while. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I did that uh, for like. The last five years or so, um, off and on, you know, those guys were cool enough to book gigs around my schedule, and I was doing that during downtime, you know, and then things sort of got a little bit tricky because I was 
jumping back and forth. And then I started actually spending more time over here in Germany. And then it became really difficult because I was like, you know, doing that commute is not possible, you know what I mean? Especially if you're paying for it yourself. But when I was living in Pennsylvania, it was quite uh, a bit easier. You know, I would meet up with those guys because they're based in North Carolina and South Carolina, actually. So, you know, they would roll up in a van for the weekend and we would meet up and do gigs. And it was actually really fun and great. And the guys are all super cool. And the music is, was excellent for me to branch out a bit and do, do something like that was just really fun. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed helping that band along, you know, and we made some, some decent strides in the time that I spent in there. Now, now Johnny, you just played with them. You weren't a road manager for them like you are with Toro. Right. Yeah, so you were, you were just able to just turn up and just play the drums. That must have been nice. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah it was, it's nice to, uh, I mean, even with, you know, with Doro, I never tour managing in Europe. I always do the U.S. because of uh, budget constraints and just, uh, you know, it makes it much easier because I kind of, I know all, you know, I can speak to people properly and just kind of get shit done. And Doro likes the fact that I offered to do it a bunch of tours ago and, and she you know, she's she's cool with it, so I always just kept doing it. Mm. Um, before I get into Bite Down Hard, Johnny, um, I, I just want to ask you about what, what are your what are your memories of Paul Chapman, who uh, he like he passed away, I believe, last year. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. What are your memories of him, like uh, as a person? Like, what sort of a person was he? Well, um, Paul was basically the reason that I got into that band. I mean, he was um, a very open sort of person. I mean, he was super friendly, super, you know, uh, creative musically and in all kinds of facets of his life. I mean, he was a great cook. He's a great conversationalist, great guitarist, a great teacher. I mean, he's, he was teaching, you know, the next generation for the last, I mean, I don't know how many years, 30 years or something like that. Um, and he was just a good guy all around and not like a huge ego thing at all and very down to earth and just a normal, funny, funny guy. and. Um, talented and yeah it's just really interesting because i i mean i cut my teeth with those guys you know what i mean and pete way was always the rock star and paul obviously was a rock star as well but he didn't really come off just a normal dude you know just like okay we got a gig let me you know pick up a guitar and just fucking go and do it and you know not a lot of airs about him or anything like that but uh we had, you know, some laughs and some good times on tour. You know, we would always, he had stories out the ass because he obviously had, you know, toured America so many times. So we would always, you know, chat about something to see in a certain city or do this or that. And, um, but he took, you know, a couple of us yanks under his wing and, 
at that time in the early wasted days, you know, it was three of us Americans in there, me and Danny Vaughn and Jim Delella. And, uh, so we were the young ones and Paul and Pete were the veterans. And, uh, yeah, we learned a lot from them, good and bad. Mm. Did you, Johnny, did you try and, uh, and stay out partying with Pete at all? Because I've read his book, right? And in a yeah. lot of, in a lot of ways, his book is is like a chemistry lesson on what to take going mm. up and what to take coming down. And he literally yeah. he literally burned the candle at both ends. Did did you try and hang with him for a while doing that, um, or was it just well, like? I, you know, I I'm, I didn't come from any like super you know angelic. Um, area before I got in the band with those guys. I mean, I was experimenting with stuff and doing whatever as a as a teenager, but nothing heavy. I never got into smack or anything like that. But when I got the funniest thing is, is that when I joined up with them, Pete was probably in the best shape of his life because there was so much riding on this uh, sort of new start with Wasted, they had, uh, Steve Harris was instrumental in getting them their deal with EMI, and he was, you know, into helping Pete get to that level, you know, at back to the UFO level or even higher, like a commercial sounding band and getting into arenas and, and doing all that. So Pete was, you know, whether he was told by management or whether he just figured he, you know, should keep his shit clean for a while and, and not fuck this up. You know, he was in the best shape uh, that he had been for a long time. I mean, he was getting up and running every day. So I really didn't have to, you know, get down and dirty too much. I mean, don't get me wrong. We were, there were some good piss ups and, you know, I certainly learned a few things about drinking, you know, and like cheap <laughs> uh, Carlsberg special brew with, oh. with his specialty, you know what I mean? So oh it's like gosh. how to get the most the most bang for your buck and stuff <laughs> like that. But when you're sitting around in Wales, you know, and you're completely bored off your ass after rehearsal or writing or whatever it was, you know, there's not a whole hell of a lot to do, even when the pubs close at like 10 p.m. So we were we were getting pissed up pretty well and we had some, some good times and some laughs and stuff, but nothing uh, really reached like the, that hard point. No, there was no real drugging going on until I think we got into the States and the old, you know, skeletons started to show up again. You know, all the, all the people that used to probably go visit UFO and bring a lot of uh, treats <laughs> you know, there was a few of them knocking on the back door and stuff like that. So it was always kind of like, what the hell, is, you know, what's going on there back there today? And, the, you know, with this guy or that guy. But it was, um, yeah, I tried to hang a few times, but I just, uh, you know, it, it was impossible. I, mean, I saw <laughs> Paul, I saw Paul, you know, Paul would, Paul was the kind of guy that could drink you know, and just drink and drink and drink. And I was always like, how the fuck can you do, you know, like he would, we'd be standing there and in the kitchen of the rehearsal place or whatever. And Paul, at one point he, 
uh, we're having a conversation. He took a sip of his drink. He goes, uh, be like back lads. And he just like popped out the door and spewed for like five minutes and then came in and grabbed his drink again and just started fucking right back in on the conversation. So wow. like, that's professional right there. <laughs> I was like, if I got to the point of puking, like I'd be done for the fucking next like three days. Oh yeah. Me, was, me too. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, the wasted. <laughs> Johnny, let's get into uh, the bite down hard. Um, yeah. Now, the breakup with Dean beforehand, uh, yeah. was it inevitable? Uh, I'd say, yeah. I mean, nobody had sort of wanted that. I don't know if we even considered that it would happen because especially at the at the point that we were we had you know our second album just done and coming out and off of a super you know killer first release on a major label i mean things were you know we had some good shit going on and uh but so i would say in that sense it wasn't inevitable, but on the other hand, like the internal workings of the band and the sort of dysfunction that we had with that lineup, it was definitely like, you know, this could, this could roll off the rails at any time. You know, we always had to sort of, you know, tread lightly with Dean and, you know, obviously we, you know, didn't want him to, you know, quit or, or get pissed off. But there were a lot of things that he wanted to do that didn't really go along with what we thought was the sort of the over, over plan of the, of a band concept. You know what I mean? Like he was treating it like a solo project, but it was, you know, it was always a band. It was meant to be a band. Even when he originally came up with the whole concept, which is, the funniest part to me of the whole thing was that he's the guy that came up with everything, the name, you know, the look, um, you know, 80% of the songs. And, um, and then, you know, after the first album did really well and he started listening to, you know, outside opinions and stuff, it was all of a sudden like he wanted to just do a complete 180 with, what we were doing, you know, what we were trying to achieve, you know, before, uh, it was all about, you know, we were influenced by Kiss and ACDC. And then by the second album, he was talking about the Rolling Stones and the Black Crows and that he wanted to do something more, you know, uh, bluesy and whatever, uh, more stripped down and, you know, getting rid of the, the clothes and the look of the band and stuff like that. But just, we thought that was like really bailing on a, on a good concept, especially because the fans, you know, obviously a lot of people were into it and it kind of set us apart from so many other bands that we thought, you know, this is our little niche and we have to run with it. But, uh, so when we started to have, you know, those kind of problems knocking around, we knew it was a matter of time and it was, he was always a pretty much of a ticking time bomb anyway. So it was like you, you never knew when the guy would flip out and have a, you know, 
a meltdown. So it was it was pretty hard to to ride along and uh, you know not have the wheels come off the damn thing. Mm. Jo- Johnny, what are your memories of uh, the fight that happened where when Dean attacked Michael? Do you have any? Yeah. But do you have any memories of that? Like, like was it was it a band meeting situation and he just ran after Michael and then and attacked him and you were all there and you all, you saw it all or was was it something that you were told? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, that was basically the last night that we you know we had together. So we um, we were on tour and you know shit was just weird. It was like we the the morale was way down uh, i'll just you know sort of put you in the mood for a second here we started out on the boys and heat uh release and tour we went uh we went to europe with alice cooper and we did a bunch of really great shows with alice it was our first time to europe and we you know we were doing really well we were real excited about the possibility of opening things up to Europe and we, you know, because we had the States sort of secured with the touring that we did on the first album. So while we were in Europe, we got uh, word that we were going to be on the KISS tour that was coming up. And I believe it was Hot in the Shade or one of those around that time. And we were super psyched because, you know, we were just like massive KISS fans and we wanted to you know, I mean, we were just blown away that we would have the chance to tour with them. But from the time that um, we got that word until the time we finished the tour and went home, the other word came down that the tour was going to be postponed. And we were like, shit, you know, there was no other tours that we could get on. So we were sort of scrambling for something else. And we ended up having to book our own headline club tour. So, you know, as you know, going from arenas as a support band into a club tour um, was not, you know, I mean, still great to play for your fans. But I mean, to go down that kind of step so soon with so much to sort of look forward to uh, was a bit of a, a kick in the ass for us. So. With all the infighting and our, you know, disagreements we had with the material on that record and the direction, like I said, and the and the, you know, the look of the band and this and that, coupled with the touring issue, you know, now we're back in clubs, in smaller spaces with the same four people who really it was always kind of three against one and not getting along and so those things started to sort of simmer and eventually get to a boil by the end of this club tour. So we had, I think we had a gig in Boston booked or somewhere up in Rhode Island or Connecticut or something like that. And we had a night off. So we drove quite a while and then we got to our hotel and what was going on at the time was like, you could tell Dean was like completely, pissed off you know what i mean he was showing signs of of just completely giving on the whole thing i think we had some time off in between legs and he went home we all went home we had like a week break or two weeks or something like that and when we came back to finish the dates it was a completely different horrible negative vibe so we're into that now 
we get to this hotel and he starts to basically say that he's quitting the band. So, um, we called our manager and manager was like, look, we just call a meeting. We get together. I come up to the hotel. We'll sort this shit out, see what's going on. And we, to sort of, sort of shorten this up a bit, we got in a room. It was real tense and just horrible because none of us really, uh, you know, communicated that well because we were always afraid of, of creating like a, a blow up situation, which is what ended up happening anyway. But, um, uh, yeah, Dean had quite a temper and, you know, when the manager came and we all kind of sat down and tried to talk it out, it was like, you know, um, sort of, he felt like we were ganging up on him so he could see his blood pressure going up. But the fucked up thing about it was that he, while we were finishing these dates and stuff, he was basically going behind the band's back. He had a band already formed. He had uh, all the songs written that basically we didn't want to use. He wanted to, you know, put out a record and uh, do another band. So he basically said, fuck Britney Fox. I can't deal with it anymore. And um, yeah, I'm going to bail. And we couldn't really talk him out of it. You know, I mean, the, the, uh, a smarter move may have been for him to just take time off and do a solo record or something like that, get his fucking yayas out, and then we could have continued doing what we had some good success at. But he didn't want any parts of it, and you know somebody must have said something that riled him up because he was pissed off, and we left the room in a huff and then he came down the hallway and we were all kind of standing there like sort of flabbergasted and uh you know he had really issues with all of us you know with michael it was always his hair or his playing or you know and with billy it was the smoking pot thing and with me who the fuck knows what his problems with me were um but yeah so that all that shit just boiled up and when we were standing in the hallway he just you know he did his steroid rage trip and he just came after Mike he really just like shoved him against the door and he ended up like whacking his wrist and screwing it up pretty bad but nobody was you know with no fist flying or anything like that but uh it just kind of summed up the whole the whole thing at that point it was just impossible to talk to the guy and for us to have any sort of, you know, uh, logical conversations as a band to do what was best for the whole, instead of the sum, you know, instead of the separate parts of the thing. Mm. Johnny, was did you play any shows after the altercation, or was that it? That was it. Yeah, he literally got his shit and went out and called a cab and I think he like went to the train station and took a train home. And, uh, cause like I said, he had a band ready to go. So he had his mind made up when he returned from that break of time that we had off, you know, he had it all set that what he was going to do. And there was no, you know, I don't think there was any changing his mind. Mm. Uh, He wanted, you know, he wanted control of the whole, situation and uh you know 
we were all about being, you know, a democracy, and he wasn't. So that yeah. was it. Did you think after Dean quit that Brittany Fox was done? Um, I don't think so. I mean, we, you know, we were sort of, we were like, you know, um, really bummed out that we had done all that and just, you know, all f- for nothing really to have it fizzle out like that. But, um, the core of the band, the three of us were still into doing what we were doing. So we thought, well, what the hell, you know what I mean? We can't let the name just die on the vine. You know what I mean? We can just continue, try to continue. You know, he actually said, you know, fuck the name. You guys can have it. So we were like, oh, cool. Okay. Well, we'll do with it what you don't want to do. And that was to continue and, uh, to, you know, present something for the fans that had liked, you know, the band from the start and uh, hopefully to bring in somebody that could not only cover, you know, the original stuff, but to actually add something, a different element that we would be able to continue, uh, you know, into the future with. Mm. Tell me about finding Tommy Paris. Um, how many singers did you audition before you found them and, and how did you find them? Yeah. Well, as soon as all that went down and the, the story got out there in all the magazines and it was, you know, Brittany Fox has a, you know, implodes and, you know, fisticuffs and all the <laughs> versions of the story that were going on. And Dean was like trashing us in the press and, saying that we didn't want to work and we didn't want to sing. We wanted to use samplers on, on, on stage and all this horse shit that was totally, you know, just a bunch of bullshit really. Cause we, you know, we wanted to do what we wanted to do. We wanted to recreate the, the sound of the band, you know? And, um, so we, after, you know, um, these sort of stories came out and everybody knew that Dean left. The next thing was to just to put out a blurb about, you know, that we were searching for singers. So we got submissions from all kinds of different angles. We got stuff sent to magazines. We got stuff sent to our management. Um, we had people ringing us up friends, you know, Philly people or, or local guys that we had, either you know played around town with and so we had you know a lot of people interested so you know we started listening to cassette tapes and looking at packages and eight by tens and just sitting there going like holy crap and you know trying to figure out what to do or who to you know who's it going to be you know there was a couple obvious choices or people that we kind of wished for, but you know, none of that worked out. And then there was a whole lot of stuff that was just like laughable, you know? And, um, so finally we nailed it down to maybe, I don't know, 30 people. And then we held some auditions and we tried to kind of, you know, see the people that we thought 
would work, you know. And the big thing was um, that you, you know, not only did we need a great singer, we needed somebody that could play guitar as well as Dean, you know, rhythm guitar. And um, so, you know, singers came in and out, but, you know, they didn't really have either skill, you know, either they played guitar well and didn't sing good or they sang real good and didn't play guitar. So that even, you know, whittled it down even further. And, um, we just got a package, you know, from this guy, Don Gilson, you know, and Tommy Paris became his name later. But, uh, we were like, this is interesting, man. This dude sings like a fucking, you know, freight train. I mean, it's some of the shit was so high. We thought like he doesn't even have to scream and you can hit this high, you know, these high notes and stuff is pretty awesome, you know? Hmm. Um, so we were thinking like, you know, cause he was far out. He was up in like Northern California or Vegas or somewhere. And, uh, we were like, shit, we're going to have to fly this dude in, you know? So, um, I'm not sure at which point he, if he came down first and then started writing, uh, to a few ideas, or if we actually sent him the ideas first when we originally liked his, his voice, but somewhere along the process, um, he, uh, I think Billy and Michael sent him some riffs and with no, <clears throat> lyrics or melodies or anything like that. Just some riffs that we really liked that we thought were going to work good. And, uh, the stuff that he sent back was just absolutely killer. It was perfect. And, um, he really did a great job to, you know, what was laying there, the foundation, um, he added just like the right stuff, you know, and here we had these songs that were getting better by his, you know, addition to it. So we thought like, you know, even though maybe there was somebody that looked better or that was taller or that was, you know, a bigger name or something like that, this Tommy had something, that element that we needed to musically. And, um, you know, a nice guy, a good front man, played great guitar, sang his balls off. And then, you know, that was, uh, that was a choice. That was a pick. Mm. Johnny, I want to ask you, can you remember any of the names that were on the wish list? Uh, well, I think uh, we're all friends with John Karabi. Hey guys, this is John Karabi, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Turn it up, strap yourself in, and get ready for the stories, baby. Yep. Uh, because we had all been in bands together before previous years in Philly. So him and Billy Childs were in a band together. Uh, I was in a band with him a few years later. Uh, so Karabi was like on the wish list for sure. Cause you know, being from Philly, we already knew him. His voice was killer. Um, and he plays guitar, you know, but, uh, he was, you know, busy doing whatever he was doing at that time. And I think it was just, a, a, may have been right before the scream actually. So I think he was working on, that band at the time and it just didn't didn't work out you know even though we're still friends to this day um but as far as 
yeah, everybody else was sort of taken that were, you know, really we had hoped for. But I mean, you always hope for somebody, oh, what about, you know, this guy? And he's obviously in a fucking band doing well already. He's not going to quit to come join us, you know? So it was going with somebody completely unknown was sort of our only choice at that time you know, mm. as far as the fit. Um, Johnny, did the label get involved in what singer you choose at all? Um, not really, because we actually, um, when we broke up, we had a CBS uh, still wanted to, you know, check out what was going on with the band, and they pretty much weren't interested, you know. I think this was even when we decided to get Tommy, and they heard some demos, and they were like, we're out. So we were like, okay, great, you know, and uh, we ended up signing with uh, East West Atlantic. And oddly enough, the A&R guy that signed the band originally to Columbia ended up at East West and he re-signed us at a different label. So, um, and he, you know, never got too, too much of a hands-on thing. I mean, you know, you know, with a band like Britney Fox, you know what you're going to get and the material, as long as it's good, you know, you're not going to like rewrite something like that a thousand times to make it like so much better. I mean, you know, even with the first record, I mean, a producer came in and really didn't change anything because the songs were so dialed in, you know, so the A&R guy didn't really get involved musically it's just as long as he liked what he heard he was cool with that and that was a, sort of a blessing for us that we you know mm. got to make the record that we really fucking wanted to make and that was the best thing about bite down hard was that we had control over every facet of it it was the three of us doing what we did best which was you know um the writing, the the you know, the whole attitude of the band, the whole you know, uh, the whole package, you know, stuff that we wanted to help with previously, but you know, Dean wanted to have his hands all over the thing, so we were just kind of in kept you know kept down a bit. So, Bite Down Hard was super cool because we also had a fucking something to prove that it wasn't just all Dean on the, on the first two records that the band actually, the other guys had a lot to fucking to give. So, you know, I think we proved that hmm. in the end. Johnny, would it be fair to say that you guys contributed a lot more to the songwriting than what was credited? Because if you look at the first two records, it, a lot of it is just Dean on, on his own. Did the other guys yeah. contribute ideas and they just never got credited for it? Yeah, I would say um in a in a more sub subtle way, um something like Girl School, for example, Dean had that song written, you know, probably two years before he even formed the band. So, you know, not to discredit him for a lot of stuff that he did. He would come in with killer riffs and, and you know, all the the stuff was almost there, you know. But even with, uh, you know, when one guy does something like that, I mean, there's a certain thing that's always, 
you know, the X factor, if you will, or like the chemistry of a band is just something that you can't really put your finger on point, you know, and sometimes that goes unnoticed in credits. I mean, there's certain songs that might start from a fucking drum uh, beat or something like that. But just because, you know, the guy with the guitar wrote all the music, all of a sudden the drummer doesn't get credit, you know, as he should. So there was a lot of elements that uh, that the three of us did that didn't get credited. But, you know, the only time anyone else got credit is if they came up with something like, you know, um, substantial, like a riff, you know, for Dream On or for something, you know, Michael had a couple co-writes on the second album and Billy as well. Billy always had like killer, you know, the harmony parts for vocal stuff and, uh, you know, different changes and whatnot, arrange, arrangement-wise, you know. So I would say, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was uncredited, but uh, when you have a, you know, a chief songwriter or whatever it is, hmm. uh, at least in that in that band, the way that band uh, worked, I think there was a lot of stuff that other people were, were adding that was really essential. Hmm. Johnny, when, when you all got in a room with Tommy and played... Uh, what did he play? What did you play in the audition that Tommy sang and played guitar on? What songs can you remember? I don't remember specifically, but I'm sure it was, uh, you know, the hits, uh, like Dream, uh, Dream On, uh, because you know we were through the second phase already. That second album was was in the you know behind us so we probably did a couple from each record you know girl school long love the important ones um dream on and some other rockers like hold on from the first album and uh probably the stuff that was a staple in the live show hmm. was you know rock revolution and hold on and uh kick and fight and um yeah mostly stuff from the first album and uh yeah, that's what he was playing at the audition. Yeah, was it was it unanimous, Johnny, to pick Tommy? Like, did the three of you was it pretty quick that the three of you said, "Yeah, this is the guy." As far as I remember, yeah, I mean, we we talked about it, and we, you know, we thought like all the the angles, you know, how many uh, pros and cons are there about each guy, you know? So, um, I think. Tommy checked off more, you know, boxes than than probably anybody else as far as covering the singing, the guitar playing, the writing, you know, and the hang ability. You know, he was a super cool, funny guy and uh, just really hungry. And he, he was fucking hard worker and really wanted it, you know, really wanted it bad, even though he was a little bit shy and... Uh, uh, not super confident, you know, but, uh, so it was cool to, you know, to grab him. And, uh, I think we were all pretty sold on that because, you know, like I said before, when he sent back some ideas that he had written to the, to the ideas that we had, uh, it was obvious that he should be the guy, you know, mm. Johnny, did you spend a lot of time hanging with him? 
because you had the personality conflict with Dean that blew up that if you were going to bring in a new guy, you had you had to know that you, you're all going to get on with him from a personality standpoint, that he had to be a nice guy. You know, he, he had that, that you mentioned there that he's a great guitar player, great singer and, and all that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're going to go on the road with the guy. You have to be able to live yeah. with the guy. Um, did you spend a long time getting to know him before you picked him, or did you just know more or less straight away that he was a good guy for the for the band? Um, we didn't spend a lot of time before um, beforehand, but as the minute we picked him, we what we did was we rented a house uh, at the Jersey Shore, and it was like at the end of the season and um this place had a studio built in we found a guy that we knew through a, a mutual friend and uh so we were like you know let's do this old school you know this is pre internet and all the you know sort of uh streaming and recording from you know your house while the other guys across the country doing his parts and all we were like let's go into a fucking house and all live there (laughs) you know which is what i did with the wasteds and 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 stuff like that so we literally all lived in this place and all we did was you know we got up we saw each other we did you know everybody got to see every side of everybody's behavior you know and um, we could fight over food or who fucking shat in the toilet and didn't fucking flush and all that <laughs> crap and get it all out of the way. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and that was great because we could just like, you know, put a giant pot of coffee on and then go upstairs and fucking work and, and write music and, and uh, work on arrangements and record the stuff and hear, you know, sit back and listen to it and go, okay this sounds fucking great. Let's, let's go with that. Or this sounds like shit. Let's try to redo it or just scrap it all together. And so that was cool, you know, and that's something I miss with the way things sort of get done now is like, there's never any time or money to go in and do those sort of things. Like, so, um, yeah, we, by the time we hit the road, we, we all knew, what the hell everybody else was was like even though mike billy and i already kind of knew that but we we all knew what tommy was like too mm. um you work with neil kernan on boys in heat uh did you want him to work on bite down hard um no i don't think so i mean uh the the response we got and the feeling that we all had after working with neil was just that it was too you know, too um, too polished, too perfect sounding. Um, even though we loved a lot of the stuff that he did, and the reason why we got him that he was available and that he did have done some of the favorite records that we had when his name came up, we were like, "Oh yeah, that sounds good." But and in the end, it was all you know, a little bit too glossy, you know, and there was like a lot of uh, added stuff, layered and layered stuff that really sort of just made the band sound perfect, you know, as opposed to the first album. uh, You know, I think both records could have used a little bit of each other, you know, like from the first album could have used a, a bit more beefy production, but the second album could have 
used a bit more rawness from the first album. Mm. So whose idea was it to get uh, Dwayne Barron and John Pardell to produce you guys? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the label, uh, the A&R guy presented a bunch of names and those guys came up and it was like, you know, they're breaking off from their, you know, uh, you know, from their engineer positions and they're, you know, they're starting to produce stuff on their own and they were working with Ozzy at the time and, um, you know, they had done all this stuff with Tom Worm and the Poison Records and the, you know, all kinds of stuff and we really liked um, the sound of what they were doing and the fact of working with two guys was sort of attractive, you know, where it's just like not one guy with one opinion, you know, these two guys would actually do what we were doing, which was try to be, you know, take in everybody's opinion and try to take the best result, you know, so we thought, oh, that could be cool. So we did, um, yeah, we just chose them for that reason. Mm. Would it be fair to say, Johnny, that, Dwayne was the engineer and John was the guy that got more involved with the actual songs. Yeah, I would say that was on the surface. That was the, um, that was the way they split things, you know? Hmm. And, um, yeah, each, each one of them took a little bit from the other as well. You know, Dwayne had certainly had suggestions on arrangements and parts and stuff like that, but he was definitely the guy, you know, uh, getting in there with the drum mics and stuff like that. And you know, that's kind of always been his gig. Mm. L- looking back on it now, Johnny, recording that record, uh, was it a pretty smooth record to make that y- you had the songs more or less worked up before you went in because you all lived in the same place uh, and wrote them? Or, or were there times when you were actually recording it where, you know, it got a little bit difficult? Um, I'd say it was pretty smooth. Uh, I think uh, we we did s- some pre-production with them when we got out there, and um, they suggested what they felt needed work. From you know, first we picked the songs, or they you know picked the songs, and we agreed or disagreed on as to which. 10 or however many would, would be there, but, uh, they made their suggestions and we would try them in the room all together. And, you know, we'd usually say, yeah, it's pretty cool, you know, or there were a few that we sort of just had to swallow because they were so adamant about it. Or, you know, we would fight about certain ideas or, or chorus, you know, uh, part or it's anything but as far as uh what i remember nothing really changed that much i think they added like one part the middle bit of the song black and white was extended by john i believe and uh he added a lot of like vocal parts i think he you know he stacked a lot of vocals and did a lot of uh some singing himself on there with tommy and uh, building up those choruses, you know, to make them make them really cook. But uh, overall, it was pretty smooth. I mean, mm. we went in and didn't fight over much uh, getting shit done, you know. And plus, we were on a schedule. And, um, I think it actually got cut a bit short because we went, 
we went into the same studio as Ozzy right after he finished the uh, um No More Tears. That's it, yeah. Sorry, blanked out. <laughs> but um we got there and they were like, uh guys, um sorry but uh we're running behind. Uh, we have a couple issues in the studios. All right, metalheads, we are going to cut it off there for this week and save the rest of the Johnny D goodness for uh, for next week with part two of our uh, throwback to Britney Fox's Bite Down Hard. And yeah, a little bit of a tease there. You know, you start to go into an Aussie story and we cut it off. But yep, that's uh, kind of how the timing worked out this week. But as I said, we will be back again next week, continuing on with uh, with this uh, bite down hard double header. And I mentioned it last week uh, when me and Richie were talking, but I am going to roll through it again just to let you guys know that uh, yep the uh, the old focusonmetal.net site is uh, is no longer with us. It's been mothballed, uh, not uh, not by choice. But uh, yes, it has been mothballed and transitioned over to a brand new website. So if you do head over to focusonmetal.net, you'll get a little pause and then it will redirect you over to the new website. And when it does that, it will come up and tell you that it's not secure. And that's because uh, obviously you're hitting a redirect. But when it does, it'll bring you over to uh, focusonmetalpod.com, although your uh, browser bar will not indicate that. And you will be at our brand new website where uh, you can get all your episode downloads, all that good stuff you could do on the prior site, and much more is over there. And if you just want to have the secure experience, just go directly over to uh, focusonmetalpod.com. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. Keep safe out there, and until we're back with you again next week, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.